0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to the Along Came A Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. She had on her um, on her website, which I hope you'll visit. Um, uh, why do I write? Because I can't not write. The stories find me; I don't find them. But I love to spin a good tale, and always have. I'm passionate about stories that tell tales from history, stories based on fact, stories full of drama and suspense, stories about determined characters with grit. Welcome to the show, Liz.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Linda. I'm really thrilled to be here.
0: Well, I'm so glad. I want to, let me just go through some of the genres you write in. You write Amish romances, you have novella collections, suspense, World War II books, and writing books, and devotionals. Um, what's your tally at the moment? Because I've found I can't depend on um, what's on Amazon or even websites because, you know, we don't update them every day, you know? Um, Honestly, I
1: can't remember what my tally is. (laughs) And that's a great place to be. I always thought, wow, I could never lose track of how many books I had out or anything, but (laughs) I – I have managed to lose track of how many I have out. I think I'm about to publish 17. So okay. um, that's the tally I'm at. I'm getting close <laughs> to 20, so that's exciting.
0: Yeah, you've got to go through, oh, 17 books, such and such novellas, <laughs> and such and such short stories, and then fiction books. Yeah, I know. It gets crazy. And that's a common answer, too, so don't feel bad. <laughs> but I wanted to tell our listeners your most recent book is called The Green Dress, and freshly released. We're going to talk about that and the rest of the books in this exciting new series of yours. The next one is going to be The Pink Bonnet. But we're going to talk about that a little in a little bit, um, and they can certainly – I hope they're looking at the graphics I put up mm-hmm. to go with this show um, – but before we go on, I wanted to ask how this quarantine and the Rona affected you and your family and your writing, or has it?
1: It has a little bit. My um, husband is working from home now, and our daughter is has been home from college since the beginning of March. She actually was home. For spring break, when all of this happened, and we had a quick run to school, get her stuff, and come back home. So she's at home. My uh, teenage daughter, who has special needs, is home from school. So that's been quite a challenge to try to homeschool her while balancing everything out. And so I just have a lot of people here in house with me. (laughs) If there are people who are out there who are lonely. I, I know that and I understand that. I am not one of them. So, I've been taking Yes, I've been taking refuge in my office. The nice thing is my with my husband working from home, he's often here to start dinner for me, so I am able to work a little bit longer than usual. So, that is kind of good. I, it hasn't really affected my writing too terribly much.
0: Well, that's good because you you think, oh, if I'm home all the time, I could probably produce even more stuff. But it's hard when you've got many home offices set up. Like my husband's been home, you know, since spring break. And then my daughter, my youngest daughter in Dallas um, came here instead of staying in her small apartment. So she she left about a week and a half ago, but she had her home office set up here. And here I was, and taking care of my mom, who has dementia, and uh, yeah, so I have kind of a similar setup, (laughs) so I totally understand, Um, and hopefully this will be over soon, so we can get back to having our writing conferences, and speaking engagements, and um, book signings maybe, you know, I don't hear of anyone who's doing book signings, and I think we all kind of miss that. Um, So let's start off with how you got started on your writing journey. I'm always fascinated about how writers get started. Where did it all start for you? It started for me
1: when I was really very young. My parents always called me Sarah Bernhardt. Apparently she was (laughs) this really dramatic, over-the-top, early (laughs) film actress. So I've and always safe. been very dramatic, and um, when I was in fifth grade, our teacher assigned us uh, to write a tall tale. We've been studying tall tales, you know, Paul and Babe the Big, yeah. big Blue Ox, and she—that's what she told us we needed to do. And I was in love because I could let my imagination go anywhere and I could, I could write whatever came to my brain, and it was fantastic, and from that moment on, I was really hooked, and she loved my story and encouraged me to keep writing. Life happened in between. I taught school for a while. I had three children, and so it went on the back burner. I never really pursued it as a career until after 9-11. And I was still fairly young when that happened. And I realized that I wasn't immortal, that at some point, and it could be at any point, my life could end. And I didn't want to get to the end of my life and say, "Boy, I wish I would have tried to write. I wanted to get Um. to the end of my life. And Say well at least I did try because I didn't think it was going to go anywhere so that's when I really started seriously writing
0: and was there a point where you realized I mean you get frustrated at first because um, most of us go through the the rejections and the you know we need to refine our writing Um, but was there a point where you realized that this can actually happen you know one day, somebody's going to say yes.
1: Yes, it did happen slowly over time as I learned the craft. I was not one that sent in my first manuscript and had that published. Far from it. It took me many, and many tries. Do, but, uh. <laughs> some people do, but yeah. the vast majority are like me to get a, a right. every diamond. <laughs> but like you said, it's step by step the rejections got better and better more like well we don't quite have room in our schedule for this or somebody just wrote a similar book so it wasn't my writing so much anymore and finally I just hit upon a good idea and they bought it and it just took off from there
0: do you remember that day? Did you did you get a call or was it, did you have an agent to just email when you got that news?
1: I had an agent and she called and she said, Liz, I have some really great news for you. And <laughs> I was so nervous <laughs> to what she was going to say. And when she told me. That my first book was a novella with Barbara Publishing, and when she told me that Barbara was going to publish that novella in in a collection, I I just about jumped through the roof. I was so so excited. Nobody was home at the time, and I was just running around the house screaming and calling everybody I could think of to call, and I I was just super happy. I that is a day that I will never ever forget
0: yeah, everybody remembers that moment. <laughs> and it's a great moment. Um, so did you did you ever have a writing mentor or people like a critique group or anything you were a part of?
1: Yes, what it started out was I met Andrea Bechard at a conference in Illinois. We had been emailing back and forth because I had read one of her books while I was writing my very first one and saw that she lived in went to college in Wisconsin, and that's where I live, and so I was just curious if maybe she still lived in Wisconsin, so I emailed her, and she emailed me right back, and we started this conversation back and forth through email, and then we met at the conference, and she was agencying at that time and took me under her wing and represented oh, wow. me as her it represented me as uh, her client and then <clears throat> we put together a critique group and there were four of us in there and honestly i can't remember who the fourth person was it was so long <laughs> ago but it was me and andrea bechar and tamela hancock murray were in
0: that group oh, wow. so i learned wow.
1: So much from those ladies it just yeah. wouldn't have happened without them
0: they're great ladies yeah that's so cool definitely well um tell us about the green dress and your idea for the whole series concept because it sounds really cool and I love the covers it, you know hope people check out those covers
1: they are fantastic covers. The people at Barber have done an amazing job with those covers.
0: Yes, they look really the high, idea, in, high concept
1: Right, they and they really get the point across. Um, the, the idea for the series actually came from Becky Germany, who is the acquisitions editor at Barber Publishing, and mm-hmm. she sent out this call to different agents for – these true crime romantic suspense books. And she had a whole list of different crimes. So my agent called me and said, Liz, I know you write World War II, but your World War II books are quite suspenseful, so I think that you can handle the genre, and I'd like to see you put in one or two for this series. So I did. I sent in two different proposals, for the series and very much to my surprise, Becky bought the pink bonnet first and then the green dress. So that's really how the whole series got started.
0: It's fantastic. different
1: writers. I forget how many different ones there are, but a whole bunch of different authors who are part of the series.
0: Well, it sounds intriguing. So tell us, tell us about The Green Dress. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about The Pink Bonnet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be great. I would love that. <laughs> the Green Dress is set in the Boston area in the 1880s, and it's about a young woman who has led her home to avoid a really nasty marriage that her father has arranged for her. And she comes to the city of Boston, destitute, and this woman finds her standing outside the church one day. She's hungry and alone and scared, and this woman takes her under her wing, brings her into her family, helps her get established as a seamstress, and so they grow very close. But then there are these series of mysterious deaths that happen in the Robinson household. And the heroine, Harriet, can't figure out why this is happening. Several months pass between each illness, but the illnesses are all the same, and they're always fatal. So she brings in, when her best friend, who is um, part of that family, falls ill, she brings in a new doctor to try to see if there could be some kind of treatment or some kind of cure who might that might be able to save her best friend, and so together, Harriet and the doctor Michael work together to try to figure out what's going on with this illness and if they're connected and if there's some kind of crime happening.
0: That sounds really intriguing it does is there um are there romance um, are, you know, are, is there a romance in this series as well? Is that part of it? Right.
1: These are all romantic suspenses. so okay. <laughs> completely. There's a romantic
0: thread. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Oh, well, I'm excited. That sounds awesome. And I hope readers, if you're listening, they can buy this book um, anywhere, right? Anywhere where fine books are sold. You got it. That's right. Okay, and this one is out, when will the pink bonnet be out? Is that the next one in the series? The pink bonnet
1: actually came out a year ago. So that's been out for a little while already.
0: Okay. I got that turned around. I I thought this was the first one. Goodness, so they can buy that one. (laughs) Well, you can talk about that too then. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the pink bonnet then too.
1: Right. The Pink Bonnet was my first book in the series, and it was the second book in the series altogether. And that one is set in the early 1930s, so during the Great Depression in Memphis, Tennessee. And at that time, there was a woman, Georgia Tan, who arranged all of these illegal adoptions. And it was quite scary to be living in Memphis at that time. You didn't let your children out of. Your site because I read about that. That is
0: horrific. Yeah, yeah,
1: she cruised the streets of Memphis, picking children off the street who were playing at the playground or whatever. And she also snatched newborns from their mothers while they were still groggy from giving birth. And uh, then she would sell these children on the black market pretty much to the highest bidder. And it was really awful uh, what she was doing.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: most of these. Children never. Well, none of these children will ever return to their biological family.
0: It's just, it, it, you know, it's a horrific story because it's based on truth. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, uh, just awful. So, um, yeah, that's. So you based your you based your um, suspense on this, and uh, I can imagine it's going to be great. I mean, I can't wait to read it now. <laughs>
1: Yes, it was a really difficult book for me to write because I'm an adoptive mom myself. All three of our children came to us through international adoption. So writing about a birth mother who has her child snatched from her was quite a challenge. I had to put myself in different shoes. I've never been a birth mother. So it was sort of a different angle that I had to take. And yet, I am a mother, so I could imagine my emotions and my feelings if one of my children was ever taken from me and the length that I would go to in order to get my child back. So yes. that's sort of I got the story going.
0: Oh, That's fantastic. So, so what's next after this? What's next on your plate
1: I actually have two more romantic suspenses in this series that are coming out. One is scheduled for December, and right before I came on the air with you, I was working on the final edits for that one, and that's called The Gold Digger. It's set in La Indiana in 1907 and 1908, and it's about these men who answer lovelorn ads, and come to Laporte to marry a wealthy widow and then disappear. So oh. that's that book. And then next week, as soon as I'm done with these edits, I'm going to start writing The Silver Shadow, which is my fourth book in this series. And that one is set in Denver in 1900 and 1901. And it's about these assaults on these women in in the night. Somebody would just jump out of the alley and whack them on the head, but never stole anything from them and never assaulted them. So cool. uh, that, that book.
0: Mm-hmm. So how much research do you have to do on these typically? Does it take, take you a lot of time to uh, do the background? Yes,
1: it does. The research is really intense on these especially with the green dress I have never used so many real historical characters before in any of my books and most of the characters in the green dress are historical people so that was a real challenge because I wanted to be able to get their personalities right and, and to make them really who they were and there's not a lot of information out there on this true crime. What I found on the Internet, a lot of it proved to be wrong. And there are no books written about it. There are chapters in books, but not whole books written about it. So it was mm. really difficult to research. But when I found the trial transcript from the trial of the villain in the book, And that gave me a lot of insight to the characters because some of them were witnesses in the trial. And so I was able to glean a lot of information. That was my main source of information for the book.
0: Do you feel like uh, once you establish a character, the characters pretty much, I know it sounds crazy to people who don't write, but the characters pretty much, kind of guide where you're going next because you know you have the parameters of the character in your head and it's kind of like you just follow what that character would do.
1: That's exactly right. Um, I create these characters. I give them a personality. I know what they like, what they don't like, what their backgrounds are, all that kind of stuff. And then I throw them in these situations and Like you said, it's going to sound weird to people who don't write, but I sit back and I just sort of watch what they're doing and I record what's happening to them and they take over the story for me. So that's the fun part for me about writing, just seeing where the story's going to go because I know the beginning and I know the end, but in between parts, it's as much of a mystery to me as it is to the readers
0: when they open the book. And and we're Christian authors, so we're not into any like spooky stuff. We're, it's just that when you're writing, it, it just seems like it's just part of this process when you create these characters, and you just you just know what they're going to do because they're created in your head, basically. You know, um, some even though they're based on factual, you know, people who lived, um, sometimes they're not, but you you just know what's going to happen next because you're a storyteller.
1: Right. And you're right. It's not, you know, anything creepy or anything like that as Christians, we don't believe that, but God did give us imagination and that's what he blessed us with as writers. So that's what's happening in my mind. It's my imagination that's going crazy. It's that gift from God, that's just sort of taking over and it's fun. I, I love having an imagination and it makes my life
0: very interesting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sometimes people don't understand us as much, but, you know, other writers certainly do. So um, now now, is there a genre you would want to write, you secretly want to write in? Because I see that you're, you know, you've written in different genres. Is there one that you've never written in that you would consider writing in? I don't know. You're
1: right. I have covered so many different genres that I think I've written pretty much everything that I would like to write. I've written straight romances. I've written Amish romances, and I would like to write more of those. I'm enjoying very much writing these romantic suspenses, and that's not a genre I ever thought I would write, but I love (laughs) it. And then I have my World War II books, which – is my passion, is World War Two, So I would never say never to a genre, but I think I pretty much covered everything that I would ever want to write
0: in. What about speculative fiction? Yeah, I'm not sure that's <laughs> my cup of tea.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I challenged myself and wrote a short story you know, but that's all I was able to do <laughs> in speculative fiction. Yeah. But it that, was, it was, was fun.
1: Yeah, it's it's fun to try something new and something different. And like I said, I would yeah. never say never, but I really like to stick to the historical stuff. So if it has some kind of historical aspect to it, then I'd probably be open to it. But I'm I'm pretty happy with where I am at right now.
0: Yeah. Well, now um Not everybody knows, that you're also an editor, and how do you find time to do editing with all your writing and all the other things, all the other hats you're wearing?
1: Yes, I am juggling quite a few jobs, but I love editing. I love helping new authors. That's my specialty is mentoring new authors. So it's just a lot of fun to do, and I'll end up doing that Later in the afternoons, I usually set aside a few hours at the end of my day to edit somebody else's work, and I manage to get it done. I don't do a ton of editing. I don't work on it full time or anything like that, but it's just a little side job that I really enjoy, and I've had a few of my clients end up getting published, so that's a a real good feeling, knowing that I've, I'm paying it forward for all the help that I got when I was a young writer I'm able to help other people on their writing journeys
0: and and that's called the right direction editing and people can find that on your website which is liztolsma.com right Um, that's right and and if they're looking for a speaker too um, you also speak I don't know how this whole speaking thing is going to work but I know a lot of people speak on zoom now and um, so, if you're looking for a speaker, uh, you can also find that on Liz's website, and um, also on the Christian Authors Network, you can find um, her there. Her some of her speaking topics are listed as well. So, there are a lot lots of ways of finding you, and you're all over social media as well, right?
1: Yes, I am, and. That's one great thing about my name. I'm the one and the only Liz Tolzma, So <laughs> if you want to find me anywhere on the internet, just search for Liz Tolzma and you will have found me.
0: <laughs> That's an advantage. <laughs> That's an advantage yeah. for sure. And so so um you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on Pinterest as well or LinkedIn. I you know, I rarely or go on LinkedIn anymore. I don't know about you, but um I know I'm there. I haven't looked at myself in a long time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't either. So if you're trying to find me on if you're trying to connect with me through LinkedIn, that's probably not the best
0: way. It's but Facebook,
1: <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, I'm on there. I check those regularly. So yeah, that's yeah. those are the best places my website to find me.
0: Yeah, and those are the main. I'm um Also on Gab, are you on anything like that? Some of the newer ones? No, I haven't had time to try out newer
1: ones, but I suppose one of these days I'll have to dip my toes into that.
0: Yes, I know. We have so many more choices now. Um, Well, Liz, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, uh, I pray that God continues to bless your writing career. And someday we'll be quarantined <laughs> and we'll be able to leave <laughs> our homes again and do all the exciting things we like to do as writers. We like to we like to meet them and interact and all that. So, um, thanks for coming, and we'll have you back. I'd love to have you back once the other books come out, and um, hope you have a blessed day. Thank you.
1: So much for having me. I've really enjoyed this and I would love to come back someday. Thank you to all the listeners as well. I appreciate your time.
0: Thanks so much. Liz Tolsma.